You're listening to the Restoration Church Bible Study. Join us each week as Gloria Lee takes us verse by verse through the Old Testament. Today we're going to start at chapter 10 of Nehemiah, verses 1 through 8. Now those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah the governor. And then they have the priest listed and they have names there. And I'm not going to read all of those names. But at the end of Nehemiah chapter 9, the people had come to a place of decision. And I had uh, talked about the decisions that we need to make last week. Here, the people had come to a place of decision. And now, collectively, the whole nation was going to do something about it by entering into a covenant. Nehemiah 9.38 says, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our leaders and our Levites and our priests shall seal it. Making a covenant is literally cutting a covenant. In the older ancient world, they did not call it making a covenant. They called it cutting a covenant because there was always a sacrifice that was included in it, and they cut that sacrifice, and that's why they called it cutting a covenant. Uh, A covenant always costs something. And our part of this decision on our part is going to cost us something. It's going to cost maybe something on our self-life, our ease, our comfort, or maybe some of the things that we do in our spare time. So before you make a decision, you have to count the cost. Is it worth it to you? It was a wonderful thing for the nation as a whole to decide to do something about the problems that they had among them. But it was meaningless if they just said, we need to do something about these problems and not doing anything about the problems. Um, Following this, we have 84 leaders, and they're all listed, who have said, we are going to do something about this. And they were willing to put their name on the line for the covenant that they had decided upon. In verses 9 through 13, we have the Levites listed. In verses 14 through 27, we have the leaders of the people listed. Then in verses 28 through 29, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. So the 84 men... That's, that's what I was fixing to say. That's a curse. Don't get a curse. Well, I'll, I'll get into okay. that. Just a second. I'm about this curse. Okay, I'm sorry. That All they right. entered into a curse. Yes, that's what it says. And, and I'll tell you what it says in just a minute. So the 84 mentioned previously sealed the covenant, 
but then all the rest of the people who had knowledge and understanding also made the covenant with God. In making that covenant, they agreed to a curse from God if they did not obey the law. Yes. And they accepted that curse as a form of God's correction for them to bring them back to obedience. So that's what that's talking about. Pretty serious. Yes, it is. You know, if I don't do it, you're allowed to take care of it. So whatever it takes, I don't know if you've ever prayed this or not, but whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. But still, you have to count the cost. There is a cost. And they made this covenant publicly, which meant they were more accountable for it than if they would have just made it privately. Wow, that's something. That's a priest, isn't it? Yes, because sometimes we make all kinds of promises and things, and we do it privately, and then we have no accountability for it. But we put it out there publicly, we have some accountability that we have to go to. In, because we'll be careful with what you preach behind the pulpit, right? That's right. In verse 30, their first area of decision, they had made three areas of decision I have up here on the board. And the first one is, we will be faithful to God when it comes to our romantic relationships. In verse 30, we would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Now, this promise was addressed to the uh, parents of those that wanted they that were going to get married. They were the ones that made the decision of who their child was going to marry. The two that were going to get married had no no say in it at all. Now, if this covenant were presented today, it would be presented to the two people who wanted to get married because it's a different type of culture thing now. The, uh, this, this right here preserved the important principle that a follower of God should always marry someone else who is a follower of God. It's obviously by experience and observation that that is so important that you choose your mate faithfully, carefully, prayerfully. You know, many of us have uh, stories about how we got together. Some of them are kind of funny. Some of them are very romantic. And some are really kind of strange how we met, met our spouses. But once we are together, God wants to make our marriages something really special before him. And he desires to draw us close together. So when we get married, it's kind of like a triangle here. But the more we reach up to God, the closer we get together ourselves. I mean, it makes this tall triangle instead of a fat triangle. So, so that it, when we have God in our marriage, it draws us closer together also. Um, it's important for those that are not married now to make the same kind of covenant with God. Now, if someone has been given their life and they serve Christ, you don't want to marry someone who 
has given their life to something else besides Christ. So marriage is a covenant. It's between the husband and wife, even the families, and witnesses. But most important, it's between them and God. The second area of decision is we will be faithful to God when it comes to doing business. This is in verse 31. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. So this was another decision that they had made. Under the Old Testament law, God said that no one could buy or sell anything on the Sabbath day. So the citizens of Jerusalem had been breaking this law, and they now joined in this covenant, this decision, we're not going to do it our way anymore. We're going to do it God's way. Now, we know that if you sell things for seven days, you get more money than if you just sell it for six days. However, this was a a way to glorify God in his law by doing it his way. And this is kind of a challenge for the church today. You know, we're not under the old law anymore. We're under a new law, and we're not under this covenant. So if we don't have to do that, which is good because we do all kinds of things on Sundays. Yeah. But all, the thing about it is, in our careers, we always want to have a career that uh, will glorify God in the way that we make our money. It should be something that is legitimate and not something that is harmful to people. The third area of decisions was we will be faithful to God when it comes to supporting God's work. This is starting in verse 32. Also, we make ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feast, for the holy things, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing wood offering into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Verse 35. And we make ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the firstfruits of our dough, that means our bread, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, 
for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. Now, uh, they tithe and they also have a tax. That tax was at one-third of a shekel. That was a yearly tax that they had to pay. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain or the new wine of the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. So all that goes to say that every year they had this tax, a third of a shekel today is worth about 33 cents. I don't know what it was worth back then. But they required people to bring wood to the temple to use in burning the sacrifices. And so they had that on a rotation thing. And then also they had a 10% tithe of everything that they produced, everything of their uh, cattle and, and flocks and all that, of everything from their vineyards and from their land that they had, had grown. First, they agreed to give as God had commanded, the firstborn, the first fruits, the tithes. And then second, they agreed to give as needed, giving uh, whatever was needed for the work of God. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, would you read that, please? Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. All right. And that's, that's something that's very important, and it's something that has a promise that when you give your possessions, then you're, you'll be filled with plenty. <clears throat> so they covenant to spend their money in ways that glorify God. Anything to do with money, glorify God with it. If you hold on your money too tight, then that shows you where a heart is. Your heart's in your love of the money. This is the end of that chapter. Any comments or questions? Okay, let's start chapter 11. Verse 1. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. So they were concerned about getting more people into Jerusalem. They did not think they had enough people there. Uh, for more than 70 years, it was a ghost town, just about. And then for the next 80 years, we had the priests, the Levites, uh, a lot of other people came in to live there, but many people did not go in. And the new temple had been built. There was a wall around Jerusalem, but they still, in order to have a successful town and one that is um, able to defend itself, you have to have people there. 
So Nehemiah knew that the bigger the population of Jerusalem, the greater resources they would have of all kind. So it was good that the people, um, the leaders of the people, set a good example by choosing to live in Jerusalem. You cannot tell another person to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. I just don't think it works that way. And so they lived in Jerusalem. The rest of the people submitted themselves to a lottery system, kind of like, okay, one of ten of you are going to move to Jerusalem. Let's cast a lot and see which one it's going to be. Some of them volunteered to move into Jerusalem, which was good, but uh, it cost them something. In verse 2, the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. Now, these people had an inheritance that they had come back to. They had vineyards. They had flocks. They had farming, all that kind of thing. They had homes. They had people that they loved where they lived. And they gave up all of that to go and live in Jerusalem. So it cost them something. So they also knew that if they lived in Jerusalem, they were subject to attack from enemies more so than if they lived out in the country. It was easier for somebody that wanted to attack them to do it. If they lived in a big town, they could get a lot more uh, yeah. from robbing a large town. They're not going to go to a little, a little farm here and a little farm there and a vineyard there. So verse 3 through 24. Now these are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities. The Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and descendants of Solomon's servants. All of these people lived in Jerusalem. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. And they are listed here. I'm not going to read all those names. Um, but we had the children of Judah. And then it says who one of the persons of Judah was Perez. And it says he had 468 valiant men who lived in Jerusalem. And then they list the sons of Benjamin, 128 in number. Of the priests, uh, Jediah, Jachin uh, were listed, those two priests. And then we have Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, was the leader of the house of God. And then... In verse 12, their brethren who did the work of the house were 822. And Adiah and his brothers were the heads of the father's houses. They were 242. Amashai, the son of Azrael, and their brethren, mighty men of valor, were 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of one of the great men. Also of the Levites, Shemaiah 
had the oversight of the business outside of the house of God. So they had all these things covered with these leaders. And Mataniah was the leader who began with thanksgiving and prayer. So all the Levites in the holy city were 284. Verse 19, they had the gatekeepers, and they were listed, 172. And the rest of Israel, of the priests and Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the Nethanim dwelt in Ophel, and Zia and Gisha, uh, Gishpa were over the Nethanim. Also, the overseer of the Levites at Jerusalem was of the sons of Asaph. He was the leader of the singers at one time, and they were in charge of the service of the house of God. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers' quota every day. So the money that came in through the ties and so forth, that was also to pay the singers as well as the Levites. And Pethahiah was the king's deputy in all manners concerning the people. So this extensive list includes the tribal leaders of Judah and Benjamin, military men, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, civil and royal servants. All these were included. And they took the lead by choosing to settle in Jerusalem, setting a good example for all other people. A lot of statistics there. Verse 25 through 36. Um, I want to show you just, just a little bit. This is... This is Benjamin right here. It's to the north, and Jerusalem is actually in Benjamin. And then below it is Judah, and these are the two tribes that we're talking about. It's where they live in those two different places. As for the villagers of their field, some of the children of Judah dwelt, and it lists all the cities in which they live. not going to name all of those. Then I also list the children of Benjamin, starting with verse 31 from Geba, and it lists all of them where they lived. A few of the Judean uh, divisions of Levites were in Benjamin, though. So any questions or comments on that chapter? Statistics. <laughs> If you're interested in that, it's very interesting. If not, it might put you to sleep. Yeah. Okay. All right, chapter 12. Now, these are the priests and the Levites who came up with the Zerubbabel, and they are listed. Long list of those. And then we had uh, the Levites are named. Then in verse 20, 12 through 21, in the days of uh, Joachim, the priests, the heads of the father's houses, they are listed. In verses 22 through 26, during the reign of Darius the Persian, a record was also kept of the Levites and priests 
who had been heads of their father's houses. They are listed. Then uh, it says that the Levites were to praise and give thanks. And they had more than one group of Levites, and so they took turns, a rotation type thing, where they always had someone who would were giving praise and thanks, according to the command of David. All right, then we had gatekeepers that were listed after that, and they kept the watch of the storerooms of, of the gates. And then... These lived in the days of Joachim and in the days of Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and the scribe. He was both of those. All right, verse 27 through 29. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the decision with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the, the Nephilites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. So the Levites led the songs of praise and worship with instruments. In the Bible, there are about 22 different instruments listed, and here they list some of them, the harp, the lyre, which was an ancient guitar, horns, trumpets, flutes, tambourines, drums, cymbals, and bells. And there are also specifically appointed singers. So the singers in Nehemiah's day had a really close-knit family. Um, they had close living arrangements. They all lived around the area of Jerusalem, but not in Jerusalem itself. They, they had little places all around Jerusalem. Now, there's a big difference in being a good singer and being a worship leader. You know. Yes, they are. It's a big difference there. Amen. Worship needs to be excellent but it is not entertainment, and it should give glory and honor to God. All right. Verse 30. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And I thought this was very interesting and very good. It's what Kim has been talking about a lot for us. They did this first. They could not effectively lead the people in worship if they were not purified themselves. And so first they took care, according to the word of God, to purify their own lives. Second, they brought cleansing to the people, the way the Bible says, knowing that only a purified people could really worship and praise God. Third, they cleansed the surroundings which we have done here. It, you know, purified surroundings help us to walk in purity. And if there's something going around, uh, along in our surroundings, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Verse 31 through 43. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large 
Thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand of the wall toward the refuse or the dung gate. Um, Ezra was the scribe that went with them. So I have here the wall that is in that time. They started down here at the refuse gate. They went up here to the fountain gate, and there's some steps that lead up to the city of David here. They went up those steps, and there's the water gate there. From there, they go all the way up to the temple area. The other group started here at the Tower of the Ovens, went by the broad wall, uh, the old gate. Then the this is the fish gate, the Tower of Hannibal, the Tower of the Hundreds. This is the sheep gate, and they came down. They all met here in the temple area. So we had these two big choirs, and I'm just wondering if they didn't sing all the way. I just yeah. bet they did. I and Nehemiah was in that second group that went through. So Nehemiah was. Christmas caroling comes in. Yeah. 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 You know, I just feel like, cool, like they you? did that. That's a prophetic yeah, act, right? Mm -hmm. I was what do I hear? Yes. Hey. So the two choirs were standing there at the house of God, and it says, Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me and the priest. And then they name those that were there, the priest. The singer sang loudly, it says, uh, with Jezehiah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children were also included in this. So they, they sang loudly. They had to be heard. Now, you can have music, and you can sing with music, but you don't usually sing quite as good with just music. But if you have someone singing it, you can hear them, and they kind of lead you. You can enter to, into it. So they it made that point that they sang loudly so people could sing with them. And they were overwhelmed with joy and thanksgiving, considering everything that God had done. Verse 44 through 47. At the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse of the offerings, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of their purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and gatekeepers a portion for each day, and they consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron, who was the high priest. So people brought their offerings, their first fruits, their tithes into the storehouse for the Levites, and they did it with joy because they did not mind uh, supporting the priests and 
Levites because they ministered on their behalf. Purity was also a big concern for these people. It seemed they had trouble with it, just like we do. Purity. It was, and they had this one-time ceremony, you know, to cleanse everybody, but it's not just a one-time ceremony. You have to be cleansed all the time. Sometimes, twice a day. Sometimes, you know, it's just like we have to wash our bodies to get the dirt off. We have to wash our bodies to cleanse it from, you know, to make it holy. Any questions or comments on that statistical chapter? <laughs> Another one that has a lot of statistics in it. Okay, chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite shall ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now, the Ammonites and the Moabites were not to be regarded as part of Israel unless they converted to the worship of Israel's God and regarded as one with the people of Israel. So an Israelite was already a part of God's covenant by birth. They were in, but an Ammonite and Moabite was not. They had to come in by choice. They had to make a decision to come in. And they were singled out because of their devious schemes against Israel. When Israel came into the promised land, they would not help them. That was at least a thousand years before this, and still it was standing. And God made a promise to the people. Uh, he said... I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And that's why we still give to Israel. So however, God is able to turn any curse into a blessing. But verse 3, So it was when they heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. In other words, they took out everybody that was not an Israelite or that had converted into, into their religion. So this refers to those who wanted to associate with the people of Israel, but they had not done a full commitment and embraced their covenant. Today, we have people of goodwill in our churches, but some of them are not even saved, y'all. That's These, true. You know, That's true. they're not even That's saved. True. And yet they are part of that mixed mixed yes. uh, multitude that we have in our churches. They're welcome, but we need to understand where they are and uh, where they stand. Mm. Verses 4 through 9. Now before this, uh, Elishab the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of God, was allied with Tobiah. You remember who Tobiah was? Yeah. Tobiah did not want to build, have the wall built, and he tried to thwart them everywhere, every way that he could. So here we have the high priest uh, is allied with Tobiah, and he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, 
the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. Verse 6, But during all this I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Elshab had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore... I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the room, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. So this section is talking about when Nehemiah left Jerusalem to go back to Persia, he served the king there for 10 to 12 more years probably was the cupbearer again. That's what he had been before. When he came back after that time, he saw that Elishab, the priest, had entered into an agreement with one of the enemies of Jerusalem, Tobiah. Now, incidentally, Tobiah was an Ammonite. Goodness. One that's not supposed to be even in there. Oh, my goodness. Um, and he had been put out of the assembly of God's people for some 10 years when, when uh, Nehemiah was there, still there before we went back to Persia. So at this point in the record of Nehemiah, Tobiah was not only present in the assembly, but he was also rented rooms in the, temp the temple courts. Goodness. And apparently he had not changed over the years. So he had not accepted God or joined in with the people of God. Absolutely. Now there were many reasons why this was so distressing with Nehemiah. One is that the rooms in the courts of the temple of God were being occupied by a man, not only a man, but he was pagan, a pagan man. And he had a history of opposing God and the work of God. The second thing is it reflected very badly on the priest, Elishab, because he was the spiritual leader and he was completely blind to this. He didn't see that there was any problem there. Third, it made Nehemiah question the lasting value of the spiritual revival that he had witnessed 10 or 12 years before in Jerusalem, where they had made these three areas of decision. They were no more. Oh, my gosh. This took 10 to 12 years for it all to go down the tube. Down the tube. So Nehemiah took action. Here's what he did. He threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the rooms that he had occupied. He cleansed the rooms and he put them into their proper use. Good for Nehemiah. He really did great. And he's much like, you know, Jesus when he cleansed the temple, got rid of everything, 
This is the way Nehemiah did it. All right, verses 10 through 14. Sometimes, you know, you just have to clean it up. Yes, yeah, right. Sometimes you got to raise some hell. You do. Yep. You do. Sure do. And I, th I thought it was kind of interesting where when we were talking about Ezra, when he saw all the things that were going bad, he pulled his own hair out and went into, you know, remember how he did He pulled his own hair out and his beard. Here, we're going to see a completely different thing with Nehemiah. Uh -huh. Verses 10 through 14. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. Oh, gosh. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to their field. They had gone, they had to go paid. back and make their own living because they weren't getting any money for what they did. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse, Selemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and of the Levites, Badiah, <laughs> and next to them was Hanan the son of Zachar, the son of Mathaniah, for they were considered faithful and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of the Lord and for its services. So the people did not obey God's word regarding giving. He didn't do this. Because Nehemiah had to go back and be a cupbearer. So he had to leave his post. He left his post and like it all Moses fell apart. And because of the lack of support, you or, know. You know, like me going home to Michigan. Yes. Her, her <laughs> husband came in. <laughs> true story. Okay. I like true story. <laughs> okay. And so um, they had to go back their own fields. And the lack of giving was a way of forsaking the house of God. So if we don't give to the house of God, we are forsaking the house of God. It wasn't just unhelpful to the Levites and the singer, it, they were turning their back to God. So Nehemiah set that situation right by expecting the Levites and the singers to recommit to the work of serving God and his people as they should. So he recognized the accounting, the distribution, and the people's ties. And we're going to stop there and we'll start there next week talking more about what uh, Nehemiah had to do. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us. Follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.